I may be the only person who talks about it that does what I do that talks about internet safety because I think it's a difficult topic. People kind of shy away from it, but I have dealt with a lot of families with children who were exposed at a very young age and it's radically changed their lives. It's led to addiction. It's led to perceptions about sexuality and health that are really damaging for children. And it's impacting their their future relationships. So there's some real issues there. And it's it's a drug, really. It stimulates their brains in ways the same way street drugs do. This is the Next Peak Podcast, where we help you redefine success and achieve goals that are actually important to you based on research and real life stories. Hey, this is your host, Clint Herndon, and I've got a little bit different episode today that we're doing, but I think you'll pick up on why we're doing it. So we talk about goal setting and accomplishing things and setting our next peak, climbing that next peak. And one of the things that that Dr. Parker Houston and I talk a lot about is parenting and how to become a better parent. And I've got the unique opportunity to talk to an expert in the digital age thing that we're facing now with our kids. And I think it's just a really cool topic, a really relevant topic to everything that's going on in the world. And Clayton Cranford has agreed to come on and share his expertise with us. Clayton is a retired sergeant from the Orange County Sheriff's Department. He's got over 20 years in law enforcement, and now he is a consultant both for parents to help them help their kids with handling the digital age, but also going around and instructing administrators at schools on threat assessments and the the dangers we're seeing now with school violence and those types of things. So, Clayton, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Clint. Yeah, this is uh, such a relevant conversation, and we were introduced through our producer, Courtney who just raves about you as a person and as a presenter. And she said, hey, you got to have Clayton on. I think you're going to really love what he has to say. So before we dive into this cyber digital stuff, give me just an idea of your background and, and how you got where you are and your experience in law enforcement. Yeah, I started out as a, working as a patrol officer for the Irvine Police Department for about, about four or five years. And I, I wanted to go to a bigger department with more opportunities. So I went over to the Orange County Sheriff's Department, which was about eight times the size of Irvine. And it, it was a great opportunity. And I fell into the best part of my career, which was working with students. I was a school resource officer for a city with about 14,000 students. I was the one and only school resource officer in that city. This is back in 2011. And so that's when social media started really exploding. And I, I was faced with issues every day with students making bad choices online, or maybe they were on the receiving end of those bad choices. And there wasn't a lot for them in terms of how do we keep this from happening? We were more focusing on picking up the pieces or dealing with discipline or punishment or something. But I, I came to the realization that most of the problems that I was dealing with could have been handled by a parent if they knew what was going on. And again, parents don't know what's going on. It's even in 2022, it's still a bit of a mystery for parents. I I started doing uh, school assemblies for students. I started doing parent education classes. I think maybe the only people doing that at that time. And it just organically grew into a business that I was very passionate about and so blessed to have it come to the point where 
I'm able to, I, I left the sheriff's department this last year and, and now I do it full time. And one of the other assignments that I had was I was on the behavioral threat assessment team, which means I would go to schools throughout Orange County and assess threats of violence. And, and most of those threats were also happening online. So there was a nexus there. I'm really interested in school safety. I do a lot of education and training for school districts on behavioral threat assessment. I speak at a lot of schools. I do assemblies for students on making good choices online. And then we do parent talks as well. Yeah. And funny enough, when you and I connected, you were up in my area doing a, a talk up here in Eldorado Hills, uh, which is about 10 minutes from, from my office. So just funny timing on that. So I've got a little bit of experience in this. I, I came in at the very early part of this. So when I was working at, at the police department, MySpace was a thing and all this stuff was just coming in, into play where people were actually having internet in their house. And it was early 2000s where it was becoming a serious problem. And I remember back then the big fear was, gosh, we don't want our kids getting exposed to pornography at an early age, or we started to get into the the child predator stuff where, where guys were contacting them and saying they were a 16 year old boy, but they were actually a 50 year old man living in their mom's basement. And it, it sounds like this digital age has evolved quite a bit. And now we have threats of all kinds. And can you just talk about the current trends? You alluded to it, but just the different things that, that kids are having to face or, and that they're getting exposed to out there. Yeah. All the problems you mentioned are still problems now. It's, if anything, it's just intensified. We have students who are the average teenager is online six to eight hours a day. That was a number that was prior to COVID and the lockdown. And we had children who are online more than they are sleeping. And those pressures and, and those challenges that you've already mentioned, we have access to pornography. And that's one of the things I actually do talk about in my parenting class. And I may be the only person who talks about it that does what I do, that talks about internet safety, because I think it's a difficult topic. People kind of shy away from it. But I have dealt with a lot of families with children who were exposed at a very young age, and it's radically changed their lives. It's led to addiction. It's led to perceptions about sexuality and health that are really damaging for children. And it's impacting their, their future relationships. So there's some real issues there. And it's, it's a drug, really. It stimulates their brains in ways the same way street drugs do. And most parents aren't filtering their internet. When I do my class, I don't ask for a show of hands, but I say, you know, is everybody filtering the internet and people are looking around? And they're not because there's too many hoops for parents to jump through. This is one of the, the fundamental problems, which is they want to make their kids' digital world safe. But it's far from straightforward. And actually, that led me to writing a book called Parenting the Digital World, which covers all the difficult conversations that they need to have with their kid, but also the nuts and bolts. How do you turn on the parental controls? How do you turn on the privacy settings on all the devices? How do you filter the internet? Because as much as I'm asked to, I, I unfortunately cannot go to every parent's home and do it for them. But there's like this technology hurdle that parents have to get over that's difficult. But then there's also the conversations. and. We're the first generation of parents who grew up without the internet. And so to talk to your kid about certain things is really difficult for parents. They're not quite sure where to start. So a, a lot of my presentation is about these are talks you need to have with your kid. And, and that's how we make our children safe, actually, in every kind of corner of their lives is a parent who doesn't have to be an expert, but asking, how are you? What's going on here? And providing that wisdom that parents have for their children in areas that impact their children's lives. So 
this, the internet is a place that I think parents just have a lot of insecurity about. And, and that's one of the things I want to do. I want to empower parents so they feel that they can do it and they can. There's just a lot of social pressure for kids. You have the, the TikTok revolution right now, and it's in, incredibly impactful. We've had a school year that's been like rocked back and forth with TikTok challenges. And I don't know if you guys remember, there were a series of them. And the one that got a lot of attention initially was the, it was called Devious Licks, where it encouraged students to vandalize or steal something at school, to record it on TikTok and then post it. So I speak to hundreds of schools every year. I, I had a lot of educators and administrators reaching out to me saying, what's going on with this? And, or we want you to come to our school and talk to our students specifically about this. So it's very disruptive. And then it's dangerous. Over this year, we've had children hurt themselves or even in some cases pass away from doing dangerous challenges. So there's this real pressure to be, you know, famous and TikTok famous. TikTok is a really, it's a really pervasive app where they're smart. They, they figured out a way that algorithm works that a student, a child can get millions of views on, on a video that they do. And that is unprecedented, right? For your teenager to get millions of views and millions of likes, it just blows up their little dopamine reward pathway in their brain. And the average teen looks at their social media, looks at their TikTok eight to 13 times an hour. So it's dominating their lives in ways that we quite don't understand even still now that we're, we're, we're kind of realizing that this is an issue but it's not all bad so that's the other thing too there's some real positive aspects to to social media unfortunately our children don't have a, a brake pedal right all they have is the gas and they don't get that brake pedal until their late 20s it's called their prefrontal cortex the part of your brain that you use for making your choices doesn't fully develop into your late 20s so they're all gas no brake and also parent steps in and creates some boundaries for them, it, it can get away from them really quick. Yeah. And, and to your point, I think I could see why that's such an issue because in the teen years, I remember mine and I, I have two teenagers right now experiencing it all over again. It's that desire to be wanted, to be important, to connect with people. And now, like you're saying, you do a TikTok video and all of a sudden you're connected to a million people and, and you're pretty hot stuff because everybody's you know pushing your video around. Definitely can see the issue with that. How do you recommend parents? I, I don't want to steal the thunder from your book, so you probably go into this in detail, but maybe just an overview of just how do parents handle these delicate conversations? Because I can tell you just from a conversation last night with one of my teenagers, they feel restricted. Right. All the other kids have their phones till 11 o'clock at night. Why can't I do this? Why can't I have this social media uh, account and all these things? And, and as a parent, I can tell you, honestly, and, and I was in law enforcement, so I, I have that perspective, but it's still, when it comes to me not teaching, but actually living it, I feel the pressure. I feel the, oh man, I, I don't want to be that parent. That's a big jerk. and doesn't let my kid do these things. But, but then I also want to protect them because of what you're saying, where it is dangerous. They don't fully understand what they're doing. And they're only serving that one part of their brain that, oh, this makes me feel good. So yeah. if you could talk to just that, that tension that exists in that. Yeah, I can attest to it myself. I have two boys. One is 18 and the other one is almost 21. So I, t I tell parents in my presentation, like I've tested all of these things in my own personal laboratory. And I can tell you my boys feel like the fact that their dad was the cyber safety cop was cosmically unfair. I totally get it. 
yes, having that conversation with your child, there's some really important things we need to talk about, but generally just talking about general expectations about what is and what's not okay. 80% of parents don't do that. In my book, and I go through this in detail in, in my presentation, you can even download the tool from my website. It's the Mobile Device Internet Usage Contract. And um, you can get it right off the, the resource page. It's free. It's in five different languages. And what I suggest parents do, because again, parents don't know, even if they think they need to talk about it, they're like, what do I talk about? So the contract is nice because it lays out what's expected. But more importantly, it's really a conversation. It's a springboard. So, or in other words, maybe it's a script. So what I want parents to do is read each line to their child and then follow that up with an open-ended question. So the first line of the contract is something like, I will not share my name, address, telephone number, or parents' information with anyone I meet on the computer. Then you ask your kid, why is that a good idea? And let them answer. And then maybe follow it up with a question like, oh, like what could happen if you did that? What are the consequences for sharing your personal information with someone you don't know? Or can you truly know who you're talking to unless it's someone you know in real life? Like those kinds of conversations. And you just work your way down that contract and you're going to have, you're going to have an amazing conversation. Parents who've done that, they come back, they're like, man, they're like, we ended up talking about other things that, that had nothing to do with the internet, but they just talk, talking about their friends and what's going on. And it's a door that only can be opened by a parent because your kid's not going to hit you up and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. They're pretty sure that you're going to freak out and take their phone away from them. And that's the other thing. I want your child to feel safe to go to you, mom and dad, and ask for help. And studies show, surveys show that students who are victims of online abuse do not feel safe to do that. Nine out of 10 of them don't even ask for help. They just suffer. And, and again, it boils down to them feeling like if I tell my mom or dad, they're going to take my phone from me. And by taking your child's phone, you're not fixing their problem. If they're a victim of on, you know, bullying, perhaps now they're wondering, what is someone saying about me? I don't have my phone. What do I do? I, I ask parents to make a pact with your child and tell them like, hey, if you have a problem, if something is overwhelming or you just need help, if you come to me and, and tell me, especially if you make a mistake, if you make a mistake, don't hide it. But if you tell me, I'm making a promise to you, I'm, I'm not going to take it all away. In fact, I'm promising you that I'm going to help you. I'm not going to discipline you. And I tell parents, stand by. When, they, when you get that, you got to stand by your promise. And what's really amazing about that is that different points in your child's life, that's going to be really important. I have teenagers now. I have post-teenager. And, and they could be in a situation as a young adult that, that could be overwhelming. And I, th I just think about my 18-year-old senior in high school ending up somewhere where there's alcohol and and, and whoever drove him there has now been drinking. He's thinking it's two o'clock in the morning. What am I going to do? He knows that if he calls me at two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to go pick him up. There's going to be no judgment, right? It's just going to be, I love you. Get in the car. And that's it. And then, and then the next day we'll talk about it. And, and I said, I'll be proud of you if you make that decision. That's an adult, difficult thing to do. And like this other conversation, he only knows that if I bring it up, if I open that door. Sure. So... The, the more we engage our kids and ask them, how are you, what's going on, and talk about things, the, the safer our kids are going to be. And it doesn't have to, and you're, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be uncomfortable for sure. But it's like the number one safety factor in your child's life is you talking to them about stuff that matters. Yeah, that's great. I was just reading through the contract. That's awesome. I think my wife and I probably need to grab that off your website and implement that at home. You alluded to some other things and I want to dig into the, to that in that 
it's not just a consumption issue now, right? It's, it's not just the pornography. It's not just the TikTok videos and the dopamine release and all that stuff. We're now starting to see a big push towards the cyberbullying and then also some indicators of, of violence in these school shootings and the other violent events that are happening at schools where something happens and then it seems like the social media stuff comes out afterwards and they go, oh, this guy was talking about shooting the school up. What's being done differently now that we're starting to be aware that there might be some indicators ahead of time? I don't think we're where we need to be yet. Like just the recent thing we had, the school shooting we had in Oxford High School in North Michigan, the, those situations are heartbreaking for me as a professional threat assessor and people who train others to do it, is that I know that didn't have to happen. And if schools have the proper training and the proper procedures, that, that doesn't have to happen. We can't stop people from having violent thoughts and maybe getting onto a violent pathway. But what we can do is we can identify those behaviors that, that indicate that they're on that path. And then we can intercede and we can basically fix their problem. Because really targeted violence, like, like we see at schools, what it's all really about is that individual has a problem. It may be mental health. It could be that they're being bullied. It could be several issues, but they have a problem and they've come to a conclusion that violence is their only option for fixing it. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is we identify these people. There's some concrete observable behaviors. And then we step in mental health, uh, social workers, educators, counselors, and then we help that individual get off that pathway to violence and we give them solutions to their problems that are healthy and it helps them coping skills, coping mechanisms, all the things that they need that they may be really lacking in. And the other thing is that unfortunately, this is not a mandated bit of training. Schools don't have to have threat assessment teams. And right after Columbine, the, the Department of Justice and the Department of Education came out and the State School Initiative, we need to have this. And for some reason, we, we haven't done it yet, but some schools are, and, and that's a big growing piece of my business is, is doing that, giving them the tools and resources to do it. But as far as the social media and stuff like that, schools are using techniques to leverage what their students know as a way to inform them that there's students who are struggling with violent thoughts and, you know, homicidal ideas and things like that. Because one of the major signs that someone's on a path to violence is sharing violent thoughts, sharing their intention to commit violence. And, and often it's happening online. It may, it, may it may happen verbally with a friend like warning a friend, like, don't come to school tomorrow. But like Nicholas Cruz at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, he was posting images on his Instagram of weapons. He was posting images of him in camouflage and tactical stuff. He was posting images of small animals that he killed. And even on a YouTube channel, he literally said, I want to be a professional school shooter. And he didn't have some random username. It was Nicholas Cruz. Oh. They're putting this information out there. It's out there for us. And so schools are using things like an anonymous texting tip type of app in Orange County, the Orange County schools that uh, I worked at. We set up a Google voice number for every school. And the first day of school, the principal says, everybody get out your phone, put this number in your phone. If you text this something to this number, it's going to go to the school resource officer. It's going to go to the school counselor. It's going to go to the school administrator. And um, the vast majority of the opportunities that I had to, you know, stop somebody with drugs on campus, alcohol on campus. We had multiple students who were talking about wanting to hurt themselves. All those came through that texted tip app 
And that was only something we would know because, because students saw it online and they shared it with us. Long story short, we need to engage students and make them part of our safety team at the school. We need to make them feel empowered, give them something that is easy for them to report. They don't feel like they got to walk into a, in a principal's office, which is something no kid wants to do and share that information with us. And I think also parents, the more you know about what's going on with your kids' social media, you're, you're going to see those things too, which reminds me an app that I endorse and, and a company that I've been working with this year on school safety is called Bark, B-A-R-K. It's an app you install on your child's device. Schools can use it for free on their servers. But basically, it just runs in the background. It scans things being sent and received from their device. And it looks for problematic words and phrases, so forth. And then it alerts you when it finds them. I, I think it's a great app. It works really well. I've used it on my boys' devices. And I even have a, a promo code. So if you use Cyber Safety Cop, all one word, you get 15% off the subscription. And, and you can see that on my website, cybersafetycop.com as well. So I, I think that's a very important tool parents should be using on their child's device because it's always there running in the background. I, I think parents need to pick up their child's device and put their own eyeballs on it and to, and take a look at what's happening. But it's nice to have something that's technology um, helping you in the background. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it, it's first conversation, right? If you're having these somewhat regular conversations and they say, oh, Johnny posted something really weird the other day, and I, then you as a parent get to determine wow, maybe that is alarming. Maybe we should let somebody know about that because a kid might, they might think it's weird, but they don't want to be the, the, the snitch and say something. I think that's really valuable. It, and, but to your point also, students have a lot more visibility to that than we do as adults. We don't have all the kids at our kids' school on our social media accounts, you know, <laughs> we're not. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, that's, a, that's a whole other world that, Parents are typically not a part of, and so we will only know what's going on there. If we have those, those relationships or we're we using some technology to gain that information. But yeah, it's all happening right there. If you're wondering what your child thinks about violence or relationships or sex or anything, if, you, if you're really curious about what they think about it and not just what they think, but what their friends think, it's all happening on their social media, their Instagram, and you just merely need to go there and, and look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the sad aspect of this, I remember I taught a couple of these classes also. Again, this was back in 2005, so a completely different world. But you'd have a lot of parents say, my kid's a good kid. They would never do that stuff. And and I, I was just curious if there's anything that comes to mind. Obviously, you don't have to share any names, but any situations that you've heard of or you experienced when you, you were at the schools of quote unquote good kid that, that went down a, a rabbit hole and ended up you know jeopardizing their future. Yeah, that's whenever I hear like a parent say that I got a good kid, they would never do that. That's that I call that famous last words. Most of my stories are about good kids who make bad choices, the the vast majority, because all kids are looking for two things. They're looking for love and acceptance, and that makes them vulnerable to making bad choices or or to, you know, communicating with people online that that are going to use that to manipulate them. When I was on the threat assessment team, I have a couple stories that are heartbreakers, but this one. I think is pretty instructive because a student like valedictorian star on their soccer team, CIF championship team, he was uh, being courted by major D1 schools for a full ride scholarship to play soccer, posted a picture of him holding an airsoft gun in a classroom. And he posted it on his public Twitter account. 
and on his Instagram account. So literally it went out to hundreds of people or thousands of people and he got, as you might imagine, blasted out everywhere. And, you know, my job was to go out there and assess him. I couldn't tell if it was a real gun, go out there and talk to him. And I did the investigation. I learned it was an airsoft gun. He did it because he thought it was funny. Good kid made a bad choice. And just not because of his brain, the brain developed, they're not thinking about what can happen down the road. They're thinking about what's happening right now. What makes, what's exciting and fun for me right now. And I told the principal, he says, I, I feel sick. I feel sick that this is happening. That We love this kid. We love this kid. We want him to, to have an amazing college career, but we're, we're in a situation where we have to expel him. And, um, and he was going to be expelled for bringing a quote unquote dangerous weapon to school, bringing an airsoft gun to school. So I was called to testify at his expulsion hearing. And when I walked in there, he was sitting there with his mom and dad and they all had tears in their eyes. They'd already been going through the process, talk, people coming and talking to him. And so I was there just to say what I didn't saw. Him. And he looked up at me and he, because he saw someone he, he thought could help him, you know, because I sat there and talked with him that night and his dad, kind of like I was a dad, just talking to him. And I was looking at this kid. I'm like, this could be my kid. You know, the, and these parents sitting here, these could be our friends. These are good people who love their kid. And here's the good kid who made a bad choice. And he looked up at me and he pleaded with me. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So he said it like 10 times and it got to me. And I'm like, man, I go, if there was something I could do that would pull you out of this situation, I would do it right now. I go, I'm so sorry. I can't help you. And that radically changed his plans. Let me just say that he got expelled. He did not get a four-year he didn't get that scholarship. I don't know what he ended up doing. I think he went to a junior college and, and, and I hope he was able to achieve and do the things he wanted to do. That changed things for him and his family. And I, I guess what's different, like when we were kids, Clint, you and I, we did stupid stuff all the time. Right. But, but thankfully it only existed in the memories of the people there, right? Because now that I'm, I'm hitting 50, I can't quite remember all the stupid things we did, but our kids today get one chance to make the right choice. Because as soon as they post it, it's there forever. Right. And sometimes they can't take it back. Yeah. And I, I think that's the part that people don't realize is once a picture is out there or a post is out there, it can be captured by anybody. And I've heard the whole Snapchat goes away. And I said, well, not if somebody screenshots it. <laughs> because no, that's, it's, that's it's not go every, when I talk to, I'll talk to like an auditorium or like a gymnasium full of high school students and I'll say, I go, hey, have you ever heard of someone, a nude picture of themselves, a boyfriend or girlfriend on Snapchat and that image get out? And they're all like, yes, they're all nodding their heads. They, they all know it's um, nonsense. And, if, and if, if you're wondering how to do it, just go to Google and type how to record Snapchat without the other person knowing and hit the enter key. And the first hit will be a YouTube video and a kid will walk you through a tutorial step by step. Wow. It's not complicated. Right. So there's nothing safe. There's nothing private happening online. And yeah, kids are making choices based on what's exciting happening right now. And they're playing checkers and not chess. And unfortunately, some of these decisions they're making can absolutely change everything for them. Sure. And I guess to, to switch onto the lighter side, have you seen yeah. a situation where you you saw something or, or heard about something that was posted and you're able to help a kid turn things around and maybe have a, a success story come out of it or prevent it, maybe some a bad situation from happening? The way I end my assemblies for students, I talk about how to make a, a positive impact in your digital world, how to create a positive online reputation. And there's just this fabulous story about, his name's Daniel Kui. He was a high school student up in central California. 
and he was being bullied online. They were making fun of him because he was struggling at, he was a, a goalie for their high school team. And other students stepped in and, and supported him online. And by doing that, they clearly helped Daniel, right? But they changed their school. And it's, it's an opportunity for students to have a legacy that um, they can be really proud of. Because I think 80% of high schools and maybe more than that now of private businesses will Google and look up people before they hire them or give them a scholarship because you can't lie about what you post, right? You can put whatever you want on that um, application, but you can't lie about your digital history. And if, if, it, if we're going to put something there, let's put something that's positive. And that's something I think parents can help their kids with, which is, hey, do you have a cause? Is there a charity that is important to you? Follow that on social media, share what they're posting and, and let's go out and, and do something in the community. Maybe help out at the the homeless center and hand out food or whatever. And let's post that on social media. Let's make that a priority. And, and then when kids do that, they tend to just gravitate away from, from the things that are negative, the more positive things that they do. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This is great. I think you and I could probably sit and talk about this for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to unpack in this topic, but I, I highly encourage people to pick up the book, Parenting in the Digital World. It looks like uh, it's available on your website. Yeah, they get the ebook on my website. Okay. Um, and they can get the um, paperback on Amazon. If you go to Amazon, please be sure you get the third edition. The second edition is still floating out there and that, that one's uh, a bit dated. So the third edition is new. Everything in it's up to date. And if they'd like to bring me to their school and talk to their students, they can find out more about that on my website at uh, cybersafetycop.com. Awesome. And are you on uh, social media? Funny enough that we're having that conversation, yeah. but they can, where sure. can they find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Cyber Safety Cop, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and YouTube. Not TikTok, but everything, all the other ones. Okay, awesome. So I, just switching gears completely yeah. now, because I just, I like to pick the brains of business owners and, and uh, entrepreneurs, but so what do you do personally to, to continue to grow both technically in what you do, but also just as a business owner and as a human being outside, what are your resources? Do you listen to podcasts? Are you a book guy or what's your favorite thing to go to? Yeah, I do a lot of travel with this job. So I always have an audible book playing in my ears. And that's been a really great uh, resource for me. Right now I'm listening to Jocko Wilmick's book, uh, Extreme Ownership. Oh, yeah. So it's been out there a little while. It's It was on my queue to get to, and I finally did. And I like, especially working in law enforcement, being a sergeant, being a supervisor, that, that was the other really thing that I loved about my, my job was, was supervising and, and mentoring. So that it's a great book. And, and so now I do have instructors who work for me. So I, I do have an opportunity to work and mentor people. Awesome. So it sounds like through the, the audio version, at least you're consuming a lot of books. Do you have a top three list that everybody should tune into? Actually, I recently read, I think I got it written down here. So I, I find some scientific technical books. I got turned on to Brett Weinstein's book, Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Mm. It's evolutionary biology, but basically like we evolved in a way that makes us see the world in a very particular way. And it, it just says a lot about kind of the, the way we organize the world and what works for us. And it, it, it actually it's this toolkit for understanding technology and understanding relationships and everything like that. So there's some kind of things that are kind of hardwired in us as human beings. And we don't really pay attention to those things. Things can go wrong. So 
I, I found that book interesting. It's a pretty heavy read. It's good to have the uh, the audio version because I, I don't know if I could have pronounced all the the scientific words that they mentioned in there. Awesome. So Clayton, thank you so much for sharing this information. I, I think it's absolutely critical. And it's just funny the timing of it because we were literally having this conversation with our teenagers last night about phones and social media. So I was already prepped for this conversation before, before we had it. Any parting shots that you want to throw out there for parents to think about before we call it a day? Parents, don't be hard on yourself. All this stuff is a moving target and uh, reach out for help and get support. And uh, you don't have to go it alone. Appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Clayton. And you can find Clayton at cybersafetycop.com. Definitely download the book or get it on Amazon. And then Clayton said that you've got access to some of his other resources on there as well. So that's all we've got for you guys today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please follow us on Instagram, find us on LinkedIn or on Facebook. And we started a thing. We're trying to continue to grow our podcast and reach new people without adding those annoying ads from sponsors. So we've joined up with Buy Me A Coffee and you can find us at buymeacoffee.com backslash Podcast. And there we are, gosh, shamelessly accepting donations to help support this podcast so that Dr. Parker Houston and I are not continuing to pay 100% of the cost out of pocket for the production. If you would uh, be kind enough to join us there, we would appreciate it. If you want to catch up with Parker, you can always find him at leadyoufirst.com. And our podcast page is nextpeakpodcast.com. Until next week, keep climbing your next peak. Peace.